if we wear the Web3 hat, not specifically like, you know, try to put everything on chain, but actually wear the Web3 hat of the self-sovereignty, of the ability to kind of control your data, uh, which is, you know, one of one of parts of our mission on Near, then you want to to have all this data on on the user side. You want to ha- be able to access it. You know, it's a flip side of this idea that users should own their data and u- users should own their AI. So this language model is becoming more powerful. It's really important that, you know, the models you're using are actually on your side. They're not being kind of controlled, manipulated, or optimized for, you know, best financial outcome for another company. If you are an Empire listener, hopefully you've played around on chain. And if you have done that, you know that transferring assets across different chains is a pain, to put it nicely. That is why we are incredibly excited to have the Wormhole Foundation as a partner of the Empire podcast, stewards of the Wormhole protocol, supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes. Stay tuned later in the show. We have a cool thing that you can claim, which is a Wormhole NFT just for Empire listeners. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. Here at Empire, you know that Santi and I are really into real-world use cases and always on the lookout for the next killer blockchain app. We're excited to share that PayPal has arrived in crypto to unveil a way to seamlessly connect fiat to digital currencies. Later in the show, you will find out how you can use PYUSD to check out at millions of online stores. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into the episode, little plug for Digital Asset Summit coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that we had to decrease the discount code. So instead of Empire 20, it is now Empire 10. Head over to the website, Digital Asset Summit, Das London, March 18th to 20th. Use code Empire 10 and get 10% off your ticket. See you in London. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. Uh, back after a two-year Empire hiatus, we have Ilya uh, from Near, and uh, also lucky to be joined by Spencer, known as uh, Xerox Pibbles on Twitter, who's making his Empire debut. So Spencer, uh, Ilya, welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks for inviting me back. Yeah. Um, Ilya, I think it'd be a helpful place. So <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so prepping for this episode, you guys have, I was like, all right, I definitely want to talk to about DA stuff and then consumer stuff. And then obviously your background's in AI. So I want to talk about AI and your ideas around bridging. Um, but before we jump into all of that, you recently returned to Near Protocol to kind of, I think, sail the ship as, as CEO is my understanding. What are What is the like why behind that decision? Yeah, so uh, just for context, I mean, I've been the most recent been leading the product engineering team at Pagoda, which is, you know, kind of one of the engineering groups uh, in the near ecosystem focused on protocol as well as a lot of the kind of uh, features and innovations in the overall stack. And the kind of realization that we had was, you know, as we were building a lot of the kind of this innovation we'll talk about, uh, we really needed to coordinate better with kind of marketing and pro- and uh, partnerships teams in the Near Foundation. And so me kind of coming as a CEO of Near Foundation allows us to have like this vision cohesively driven by uh, and at the same time coordinating the ecosystem uh, kind of more effectively. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. We uh, kind of, you know, made some changes organizationally recently, but now we have like full on team ready to go, coordinating across lots of different decentralized nodes in the ecosystem. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to share kind of what people are working on as well as, you know, how I see a lot of the space evolving 
this year and beyond. Nice. Um, for folks who haven't followed near in the past, maybe 18 to 24 months, what is the, and maybe just think of it as like another all L1, what is the maybe best framework to think about near today? So indeed near started as a one, uh, and kind of the core idea was how do we make it really simple for people to use and build, uh, in the blockchain space. And so, uh, the way it, it so evolved is in this idea that. I mean, we have this multi-chain space, right? We have, we'll have 10,000 rollups tomorrow. Um, we'll, we have a bunch of layer ones, which are, you know, have their own applications and kind of benefits. And at the same time, this space is becoming, it was already hard to use. It's becoming more increasingly harder to use. And so our broader vision that we had from the beginning, which is like, we want this to be easy to use, you know, cheap and accessible to everyone kind of just spans in a broader sense. So we call it chain abstraction. It's kind of a broader movement that we see across the space. There's people from Cosmos ecosystem really pushing for it as well. Uh, There's a huge need in roll-up space around it. But uh, this is the idea that like near is a toolkit and, you know, a, a stack of tools, everything from the layer one protocol to kind of, uh, identity layer to data layer to decentralized front ends to integrations with this consumer apps we have that really deliver experience where users can use applications without thinking about blockchain. Be that near, be that kind of uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, EVM, Solana, you know, Cosmos app chains. You can just use apps and kind of uh, really not care. And so that's what really, really like delivering that vision, chain abstraction vision. And near is kind of this, you know, chain abstraction stack that uh, has a lot of these tools. Hmm. Why can near accomplish chain abstraction when other folks can't? Because I think that's what everybody says, right? Everybody says, yeah, we, you know, if you're using Solana, you're using Avalanche, we don't want you to know that you're using it. And one day you won't, the users won't actually know. Why is near uniquely positioned to accomplish this and others aren't? Well, I mean, there's two things. One is neither Solana or Avalanche actually saying that, right? Solana is saying they want to be the fastest chain. Uh, and Avalanche is, you know, offering kind of their, like, uh, whatever, subnets uh, for people mm. to launch stuff. And we have, from the beginning, kind of positioned ourselves as like, hey, we want to be this uh, easy, to, easy to use, but like moving blockchain into the background. And so because of this, we've done a lot around account abstraction from the start, like near launch with account abstraction. You can have, you know, very easy Web2 style onboarding. You can have multiple keys accessing your account. You can have recovery kind of keys like accessible by some, like that you can have third parties, for example, with delay recovering your account in case you lost your primary key. You can have like different devices. You can have applications having specific limited access key to use. So we built a whole framework around pretty much how account is used in such a way that like applications and wallets and kind of things on top can actually abstract it out. Like one of the uh, mm. really cool apps called Keypalm is allowing to, you know, I can send you a link, you can click it, you can start using apps um, right away. You don't need to deposit funds, you don't need to do this. It's all actually preloaded and it's a trial account. And so when you wanna kind of claim it fully, you pay back me whatever I sent you initially and then you get full access to this, to this account, right? So this is just like an example of what you can build on top yep. and delivers this experience. And so that's, I mean, that was the foundation, but now kind of near itself is also the way it's structured uh, and we can go into kind of sharding 
the idea was that every single smart contract on near every single account on near is actually its own quote unquote chain and what we've been doing is abstracting this out we've been really kind of providing this interface over in such a way that any user doesn't need to think about it but all the interactions are hidden and what we do now with other kind of offerings is just like expanding that you know, such that rollups are also just part of the system. They use the same data availabilities. They use the same kind of uh, potentially message routing. Uh, and you can kind of continue abstracting this interface, even uh, achieving similar level of security and finality as NIR offers. So I would say like why NIR is really well positioned here is because we kind of taken that mindset from the start. And we designed a lot of the underlying uh, kind of layer one as well as tooling to really focus on kind of removing this complexity from a user. Mm -hmm. And now we're just opening it up and connecting to other chains and other ecosystems uh, throughout the stack. And yeah, again, we can talk about the specifics, partnerships and uh, offerings yeah. across the stack. But yeah, that's been con conceptually the mindset we always had. And we've, you know, partnered and talked and always kind of had a very good relationship with all the blockchains. We've had the whiteboard series where we interviewed a lot of other blockchains. So we've got to have a very like positioning that is more not like this confrontational, oh, you know, everybody come to my chain and abandon everything. And but more like, hey, let's all work together. Let's grow this ecosystem. Let's bring users. Let's make it easy for them. And uh, yeah, really kind of yeah. make it happen. That whiteboard series was good, by the way. I, uh, I just watched the one on Celestia. Uh, which was interesting for me because, I mean, we'll talk about DA later, uh, DA later on in the show. But, I mean, you guys are ultimately competing, I think, with Celestia uh, in one form or another. So it's interesting to kind of have them on and talk about that. But anyways, we'll talk, we'll talk about DA in a second. Let's, um, I think let's go sharding and then account aggregation. Because I think sharding, when I think about Nier, it's like, I think it was your co-founder came from a background of, of, like a database background, basically. I mean, you were you were at Google before Near. Why is so sharding? Maybe let let's say two or three years ago was all was all the rage. I feel like I feel like everyone was talking about it. Now nobody's talking about it. A lot of other L ones have gone in a different direction. You guys have stayed the course. Um, two part question here: What what is sharding? Can you give us a reminder? Uh, and then like, why is it so necessary here? And what is maybe three part question? And what is like the next evolution of sharding for Near? Yeah, so so this is kind of talking about the lowest level of our stack, right? The layer one itself. And kind of the idea of sharding is pretty simple, right? It's You cannot kind of store, process um, all the transactions and store all the data of all the smart contracts in one machine when we get to a billion users, right? And we all want to get to a billion users, right? This is just like physically impossible. And so, you know, all the Web2 companies do sharding, like this is just a normal way you kind of split your data across multiple computers, you process data in parallel, all the two companies have replication. They actually, you know, Google, Facebook, all of them run consensuses internally on their database. It is a permissioned consensus, but still. And so, uh, so that's kind of the, you know, the system uh, at the core. Now, in blockchain space, you know, things become more complicated. There's obviously permissionlessness that you need to account for, you know, uh, potential attack vectors. And so near design kind of from the start uh, has this very kind of simple idea, but uh, obviously um, requires complexity to implement. But let's imagine that every single account, right? My account, your account, 
smart contract for Unis, you know, for AMM or for or for lending protocol, etc., is a separate chain. But this is obviously inefficient, right? This is uh, you don't want to run like for my account that only you know needs to store just the balance, the whole chain with all its own validators. So let's just group them effectively into set of common validators in such a way that I as user don't need to care about this, right? I just know I have an account, it's stored across kind of somewhere on the, uh, on, across a shared set of validators, and then I can just transact with it. So like all of the complexity of this, you know, multi-chain world that happens inside Near is hidden. Um, and so the, you know, we call it kind of, there's logical shards, which is accounts, and there's a physical shards, which is actual splitting of the data and, and transaction processing that happens uh, on the chain. And just to kind of compare this, right, we have, we, we kind of have now a progression, right? You have things like Cosmos where each application is a separate chain, right? You need to launch a whole separate chain. If you want to launch your application like DYDX or whatever, it gives you benefits. You can customize on the consensus level. You can customize some other parts like mempool, but obviously you need to bootstrap. It's a very expensive procedure. Um, you have approach of, Ethereum, which they take in with rollups, where uh, they kind of say, well, you know, instead of sharding the whole space, everybody creates its own kind of subspace and then we interconnect them. Uh, but they all have similar security within some like latency parameters. And the complexity is there now you have, you know, instead of having one account that can use all the apps, you have now account on every of the rollups. And now you need to deal with that somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, and then And then you have near approach, which is like, okay, well, all of this complexity is hidden. You have one account and you can transact with all other, you know, chains, but you don't need to think about it. And so obviously there's trade-offs in all of these options, but again, we focused on kind of simplifying the way you interact with this. Now, uh, kind of, we had in 2019 published uh, kind of uh, the paper on this. It, it included actually data availability as part of this because, you know, in the way this has sequencing, data availability, execution, settlement, like all the same steps that right now rollups, for example, have in modularity stack. Uh, and we just like package it together kind of effectively and abstract it out. And so we've set out a, a kind of a four step, uh, four phase plan. Uh, we had kind of three phases done uh, uh, up in 22. And so we have a final phase uh, that is launching now in the kind of incentivized testnet and will be launching later uh, kind of in Q2 on mainnet, which is um, kind of finalizing the, the like sharding design we outlined. And the core idea there is we implementing what's called stateless validation. So this mm -hmm. is the idea that now every validator, instead of tracking a shard, can receive a block that contains all of the information required to validate that block. And so this is like, you know, Ethereum has been doing, uh, kind of Ethereum researchers have been doing research on this. So we have this implemented and it allows to have a lot more validators validating shards. It allows to have kind of validators themselves need a lot less uh, kind of hardware requirements because it now don't need to st store the state of the, of the blockchain, which is one of the biggest issues in general in the blockchain space. And on the other side, because it's a sharded design, compared to kind of monolithic chains like right now Ethereum or Solana, for example, we can actually keep all of the state itself in memory on each shard because each shard is, is limited to a very specific size of the, 
um, of, of like, and we can just add more shards if the state grows. And so because of this, we actually get a, a really huge improvement in performance on each individual shard as well. And so what kind of this final launch we're doing right now is pretty much increasing five to 10 X performance of each individual shard allows us to add more shards uh, to the network really easily and lowers the requirements for val for a broader set of validators uh, that can validate the network, increasing decentralization and security of the network. So really excited about it. It allows to kind of, you know, build for this vision of billions of users, uh, even as we are kind of opening up and working with other ecosystems, because it will allow us to kind of be the, this entry point for Web3. Uh, Ilya, I have a probably a really dumb question here, but so... Sharding at a at a high level. Sharding is basically dividing the blockchain into smaller blockchains called shards, uh, and that improves scalability. It increases transaction speed. How do you uh, how do you ensure the security of a of a shard? Yeah, so that's was, what this, where, was this where Nightshade came in. Yeah, so that's what okay. Nightshade and specifically the stateless validation uh, is kind of the way you ensure security. So now for each shard, right? You produce, you know, we call them sh sh chunks, but it's like the block for this specific shard. And so mm -hmm. now that block contains all the information you need to validate it, even without knowing anything else about the, this shard. Oh, these are the chunk producers. Yeah. So chunk producers kind of okay. accept transactions, uh, execute them, and then produce a chunk with all of the state that was touched. And so now any other validator in the ecosystem can take that block and, and validate it and say, yes, it's good. Or, you know, no, it's not. And we need to you know, slash that. Uh, or like ignore it and pretty much uh, rework around it. And so what this allows us to, to do is to have, you know, a ton, you know, you can have like hundreds of thousands of validators now that receive these blocks validated. And so because now you don't have the requirement for them to manage state, you can rotate them constantly, right? You like as a, uh, you now don't have requirement uh, and so you can, you like as a as a you know attacker, you don't know which validators to attack in specific shard, right? Because any of the validators potentially can be validating uh, the kind of the chunk in the shard. So you, so you go mm -hmm. into the same security as you have right now of any other proof of stake network which doesn't have sharding, because you remove this need of like having subset of validators be consistently tracking a shard, and you can start attacking them and kind of corrupt this shard specifically and then through that attack the rest of the network. So Got that's it. really kind of the core innovation. It is an update to the original Nightshade. We had a different design originally for that. Uh, the team has done a ton of research and work on kind of implementing this. And we're going to be releasing kind of update to Nightshade as well as again, this is implemented and going to be coming out as incentivized testnet uh, early February. Hmm. Uh, at the backbone of near. And uh, when I think about the future of NEAR, 2024, 2025, 2026, and beyond, is this account aggregation idea and the, and the single account. Um, can, maybe you can just lay up your thesis on like what, how, like how NEAR will, basically what the single account is and what like account aggregation really means, but also like how that ties into this idea of bridging and like multi-chain thesis and just take, maybe start high level and then we can go into the details. Yeah, so maybe the kind of broader, again, chain abstraction thesis is that as a you know user and even as developer in many, way, many ways, you should not care about which chain what's happening on. So ideally, you should be able to say like, hey, I want you know execute the best swap or the best between these two tokens and the tokens may be on different chains. 
the you know the the gas fees like are different like all of that it should like as a developer ideally you should not care about that you should just say like uh, pr- you know provide the intent that you want and as a user you definitely don't need to see any of this you just select what you want you click right so how do we implement that right that's like a re- really cool vision but you know we're very far from it as as of right now right now you need to bridge create accounts create wallets have the gas tokens you know understand what's going on make sure you don't have some token stock like at the times I'm like looking for which wallet I have what on which chain is also kind of uh, insane, right? So so few few than other concepts. One is bridges are extremely kind of uh, uh, scary in a way because you know we they're getting hacked all the time. They are a honeypot because they have all the assets that been bridged on them and like they're kind of external to the to the chain. So they are the way to attack the chain, right? The, cha- the, the bridge doesn't fork with the chain if something happens. Uh, and so kind of the, one of the concepts I, I want to promote is hashtag unbridge. And so this idea that uh, keep the assets where they have been issued, right? I mean, like for everything except Ethereum right now, you can actually keep the asset where they issued. So let's say, you know, keep the SOL token on Solana, keep the OP token on Optimism, uh, keep the NFT, you know, ordinal on Bitcoin and Bitcoin and the Bitcoins themselves. And instead, the user should have an address there and the applications should have address there in such a way that you can now kind of transact uh, there. And so now that that's a very complicated, you know, and, and users now need to manage all that. And so, so what we do at NIR is we call it account aggregation is we creating a way for a user with near accounts to have addresses on all chains. Again, conceptually think of it as you're logging in into Coinbase or, Bitcoin or Binance, you're logging in with one account, but you have addresses on all chains. You can receive assets on these addresses, right? And, and then transact with them. Uh, but now this is a um, self-custodial account. I mean, you can custody it obviously, but uh, at the core it's self-custodial with all the account abstraction near offers. It has addresses that are, don't have explicit private key to them. The private key of this addresses on other chains is controlled by your account, by your near account and the near validators and some other set of uh, kind of validators. And so through that now, you can pretty much you log in into an app with your kind of account and you can transact. And if the app is on different chain, it uses the address on that chain and kind of transacts through it. But you as a user don't see that, like that is invisible to you. And you, then there's mechanisms, how kind of intents get executed, how fees get paid for you. So you can, you don't, you only need to kind of pay, for example, near or stable coins, uh, kind of through meta transactions. And you don't need to think about gas tokens and kind of other stuff. And for kind of any multi-chain application, near will be the place to build because what it means is your near your near smart contract now has addresses on every other chain. You can receive assets, you can transact there, and so if you want to build like a multi-chain swap, you just build a smart contract on near. It receives, for example, deposit of Bitcoin and it sends Ethereum on the other chain. If you want to have you know swap a Solana NFT for uh, Ethereum NFT, again, near smart contract, receives Solana NFT, sends Ethereum NFT to an address on Ethereum. So near will be the best place to kind of build multi-chain apps, but also it will be the best place for users because they can use all the blockchains, kind of fully transparent 
and like all the their intent will be get executed without them like thinking about bridges and all of the other stuff. And assets stay where they are, where they were issued, where the logic lives. Because remember, like so, yes. so that's the key part, right? The asset stays where it is, and you're basically just creating an account there. Therefore, it's not a bridge. It's, it's not, not you're not you're not com- you're not creating a competitor to you know say wormhole layer zero axolar etc. No, no. And then like some of these things actually will be used because you still need to like pass messages, but you don't want to pass the value. That's main point. Like you, the message, the messages, information should flow and like you need bridges for that, but you shouldn't move the value because, and, and this goes into like in general security, the assets are secured by the chain. If something happens to the chain that ha- like that asset is kind of natively there. And like if chain gets rolled back, there's social consensus, whatever, all of that will be like, managed there as soon as you bridged it you now broke that property and so now like the asset that you have like a mirrored bridged asset doesn't have any of the properties so if something gets here happens here rolled back etc this asset like completely separately mm-hmm. trades right and you broke the whole you know consistency of the of the system and we've seen some of this happen right in cosmos ecosystem when when uh when there's like uh problems with chains i mean it'd been isolated but still and so Generally, like yeah, keep the assets where they are. Again, the other example, NFTs. You cannot you cannot even bridge them because NFT have the additional logic that you will not have on the on the target chain through the bridge, right? So this allows you to keep everything where they are and then have this kind of aggregated view through in, through one account and uh, kind of transact through all of this. I think um, account account aggregation and this whole concept of chain abstraction kind of ties together to make like the the golden standard for the end user crypto experience when you're targeting people who aren't necessarily crypto native. And these two concepts kind of tie in perfectly with the blockchain operating system, which is kind of just like this, this Shopify experience for devs to come set up shop. Um, so I'd like to hear some more about the success and the go-to-market strategy of the blockchain operating system and how it's complementing this broader vision. Yeah, so I mean, blockchain operating system is this vision. It's, it's just it's just the product, right? So like the the chain abstraction is a vision. I mean, there's other people doing intent execution. There's you know other chains as well, kind of doing a lot of similar you know parts of the stack. Cosmos have interchain accounts, so it's not like. It's not a completely, you know, just near thing. And, and uh, so we are kind of bringing a really big group of, of projects and kind of uh, developers coming together here. And so for us, blockchain operating system was really a stack that we can offer that um, combines all of those pieces together. And specifically, uh, so account aggregation, we have to kind of, as part of this, if we want to onboard new users and onboard users who are kind of new to crypto, uh, we need a way, like easy way. So we launched a pro- uh, product called FastAuth, which allowed to you just sign up as an email. Uh, it had like kind of uh, email MPC recovery. It had uh, Passkey, which is a new uh, standard that's uh, you know supported by Google, by Apple, and uh, and uh, other device manufacturers, where you can use your f- uh, fingerprint or Face ID to uh, actually create cryptography and, and log and like sign things with. Um, and then we had decentralized frontends. And so decentralized frontends was kind of our first part that was like this multi, like kind of opening up this multi-chain um, vision where instead of having uh, right now, you know, I'm building an app 
I'm building a smart like smart contract, and then I build a smart contract front end, right? That's kind of the extent that we actually do. And my point here, actually, we don't have dApps. We only have smart contracts in their front ends. And they're usually just a feature of like a broader product offering that users want, right? They're not really covering all my needs. And then in, in, in your point is like, yeah, right now, Web3 kind of native people, you know, I have like multiple of this Web3 front ends that I'm using. I'm like, you know, multiple wallets. I have, I have like a ton of different things that I need to juggle. And even I, as Web3 native, I want normal, like singular experience. And so what we wanted to offer and, and kind of now all the pieces coming together is this experience where you go into one place, you have all the kind of different financial, you know, and non-financial apps. They're all available there. They all are proven. They have cryptographic signatures on them. So, you know, you're not getting like uh, fished or um, attacked and hacked. Uh, you're able to transact and see kind of, you know, ideally in, in a normal explanation, what transaction you're doing. And it's all kind of like hides a lot of this complexity of the blockchain interaction behind. And that's what, you know, decentralized frontends is part of this. And we partnered with uh, uh, Polygon kind of ZKVM. We partnered with Linea. We partnered with others. We have DabDab, which is kind of a single place where there's a lot of DeFi from different chains kind of uh, integrated into one experience. So the idea is there is really about kind of integrate with as many chains and offer this unified experience. And then it was waiting for this chain aggregation kind of feature to mature to then offer this like singular, like login with one account, use everything. Don't think about fees. Don't think about experiences. You know, if you want to airdrop new chain, boom, it's already there. If you want to, you know, trade the new token that just launched on Bitcoin, it's ready there, right? If you want to uh, sell your kind of account with all the assets across different blockchains, well, Near actually offers that out of the box. You can just sell your account, turn it into, you can turn your account into NFT with all of the assets that you have across all other blockchains and sell that on NFT marketplace. So that's kind of like a ton of different, you know, realizations of this core set of, you know, uh, product that we have in the stack. Really at a time when everyone uh, feels like everyone's going modular. Um, it feels like you guys are going the other way a little bit and doing a lot of things in-house. What is the, maybe in-house is the wrong word there, but what what is your just thought on this broader, like monolithic versus modular debate that's happening? Yeah, I, I think, it, I mean, it's a little bit, I would say orthogonal uh, to what we're doing, right? Because um, I think the, as I mentioned, maybe the, Kind of you have the spectrum of you know modularity in a way and and like kind of separation when you launch things right you can have like a single network where everything is packed there and then uh you know you need to come compete for space compete for you know storage compete for transactions um then you can have like a sharded blockchain right where you don't need to do that uh, but it, it, you know, the communication between apps is slower because now, you know, it is asynchronous. So you're kind of going one step above that. Then you go to rollups where all the communications are asynchronous and now you have accounts everywhere and now you need to manage all that. And then you go to app chains where it's even more kind of distributed and you don't even know that like always the security of each independent chain, right? That's kind of the spectrum of, you know, blockchains in a way probably should post it somewhere and publish it. Um, but 
but my point is like, I mean, all of these things have their own use cases, right? Again, DYDX, you cannot like the, the things they did on mempool optimization and like things yeah. like that, you cannot do that anywhere else, right? It needs to be an app chain. Uh, some of the more like high frequency, you know, multiple interlinked transactions, et cetera, like it would be really hard to do on near. And so, you know, this is only like, you can, you know, do that on Solana, for example. Now things when you need to have billion users, you cannot do that on, you know, kind of in Solana approach. It just will not fit into their storage. Like every validator will need to have, you know, like a data center worth of hard drives to process it. And so, so each use case, like each kind of set chain approach has its own use cases. But as a user, I don't care. I should not be needing to think about like, hey, you know, is this application better fits monolithic approach or, or rollups or sharding? I should be just using stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's as if right now you go to Netflix and you're like, oh, choose a data center, right? This data center is better for serving movies, you know, in French. This data center is better for movies in English. And then like when you go to that data center, sometimes it's like, oh, this movie is streamed too much right now. You need to pay more. If you're streaming, that's kind of current experience, right? Versus like log into Netflix, watch a movie. You know, I don't really care. Like figure it out. Like you have all the infrastructure, just do it. So like, that's what we're trying to achieve. Like that experience on top that kind of mm. abstracts it out. That's interesting. Um, Spencer, go ahead. Yeah. So with this infrastructure in place and, you know, sharding is working super well. How does all this broader usage drive, um, drive attention to near as a token like how is the blockchain itself being used in the workflow of this and um, what effects does that have with the token yeah so maybe just to give you an example right so near is has the most users in web3 right now right so near is like uh benchmarks over a million daily active and it is actual users it's it we have kind of integrations and, and partnerships with uh, like applications that have, you know, hundreds of millions of installs uh, like Sweatcoin and, you know, uh, kind of millions to tens of millions of uh, monthly active accounts, monthly active users that translate into accounts. And so that is kind of the fundamental piece to me to onboard, a, a, you know, a ton of users into the space who, you know, might otherwise will not be the, you know, the DGENs who are going to like go and discover this, but actually they start with a use case, you know, be that loyalty, e-commerce, and they start interacting with this. And then they learn that they can do, you know, financial operations, they can do, you know, social gaming, et cetera, like all of this in one place. And so for all of these users are near account users and we just opening up them to transact across other chains. But as I mentioned, right, all of the to kind of origination of transactions starts on near. So like you pay near or you know stablecoins on near to originate transaction, even if you're buying NFT on Solana. And so the kind of the core idea here is that you know it's it is still infrastructure. We're just opening up more use cases for this infrastructure and opening up ways to interact with other chains. And then we continue growing the user base kind of uh, on the top that is interacting across the Web3. Hmm. Let's talk DA, Ilya, because uh, obviously things are going, I feel like things are heating up with DA right now. Um, my my like market overview of DA right now, it looks like it's Eigen DA versus Celestia versus Near DA. And you guys have a part a partnership with Polygon's CDK, I think it is. Um, what is your, what's, what's your assessment of like those being the three players in the space? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably a valid assessment. So, I mean, I would say like the probably the missing piece is Ethereum GA. So Ethereum GA is the last that, that's True. most True. used. Uh, and then Celestia launched kind of uh, a few months ago and uh, we launched kind of offering and then uh, you have uh, Eigen GA coming a bit later this year. And so the important part kind of on our side uh, to know Again, DA has been was at near from the start. This is in our original paper. Uh, this is how near works. It it has this kind of all the same mechanics for Azure coding embedded directly into the uh, our consensus because near itself, you know, again, it's lots of chains, or you can think of them as like each account is a rollup as well, and so we just package all that. Uh, and so when we realize there's kind of a, in this a chain abstraction mindset, right? We want to connect more with other rollups. We want to connect more with other chains. And so the best way to also ensure that they are, uh, you know, fast, that they're cheap, that they are settled well, that they actually uh, integrated with some of our tooling is actually make sure that their data is also published on near in, in the same way as NEAR's kind of transactions mm -hmm. are published. And so this really interconnects the ecosystem. And so uh, for, for us, it was like, you know, it was literally a smart contract that our engineers built that integrated with different uh, uh, kind of um, roll-up stacks that allows, um, you know, roll-ups to really connect with Near. And remember, you don't, you actually can publish on Ethereum and on Near at the same time. It's not a, or like Celestia and Near at the same time. You can, it's called dual quorum. You don't need to like pick one or another. And so the benefit and uh, kind of, again, for, for, um, for this rollups is you can interconnecting into the, our kind of chain abstraction uh, kind of stack. And that's why we also have more uh, features like we working with Eigenlayer on fast finality for this rollups so that you are mm. actually going from, you know, 30 minute like um, kind of round trip for uh, finalizing your rollup communication uh, for like, you know, uh, ZK, to, uh, or like, you know, for optimistic, it's even longer on near, you'll be able to kind of round messages within two, three seconds. And so this is again, turning back to kind of rollups becoming in a way, just another shard on near because DA is on there. We, you know, have fast finality executing and then publishing the kind of outgoing messages and state, uh, back to near. Then we have, you know, uh, Aurora, for example, provides scalable RPC for EVMs that publish data on near. So you can have scalable RPC that avail globally available that can handle million uh, monthly actives, right? Uh, you have, uh, and then indexing and other tooling explorers, like all of this tooling uh, that near already has, you can actually get if you kind of connect with near through DA. So that's really kind of how we see it in this broader chain abstraction. We want to interconnect more with other chains. And so we partnered indeed with Polygon CDK. We partnered with Arbitrum. We partnered with Starknet mm -hmm. and kind of a few other folks as well. Uh, and as well as like some rollups that are coming to really kind of interconnect more. So this is all tied back to the account aggregation th thesis, basically, right? Well, like chain abstraction overall, right? Like again, okay, yeah, yeah, chain abstraction. Okay. How, how, like, what do you think about competing? So you're, you're actually partnered with Eigenlayer on... Fast finality, but then you compete with Eigen DA. How do you? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, this this is a space. Everybody is like <laughs> everybody's providing tools, and then people deciding what's the best uh, set of uh, parameters for them. 
And again, as I said, like you can actually publish data on both near and eigen GA, for example, at the same time. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Can you uh, walk us through the consumer? Spencer was touching on this a little bit, but the consumer side right now. So I was looking at some some metrics in it. I was like, oh, didn't even seem right to me. I was like, am I looking at the, but near is the, I think most, every time scale I was looking at daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, near is the most used blockchain right now. And I think that's the reason it was not clicking for me is because that's not the narrative you see on crypto Twitter per se, but what is, um, yeah, I mean, you guys have seen record usage, like, yeah, you have partnerships with, uh, Spencer, what's it called? Kai Kai, I think it is. And, uh, sweat coin, which is the move to earn folks. What is, um, yeah, just, I don't know. Tell, like, tell us a little bit about the consumer side of near. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we have three out of top 10 apps, uh, running on near right now by users. And indeed, I would say like the broader crypto narrative has always been about TVL and, you know, volume. And so we kind of went indeed like a, a different direction. And, and again, our goal is to bring billion users and we kind of, you know, executing on that goal. And so as part of that, we partnered with kind of consumer apps that are half massive scale. So Sweatcoin has over 150 million installs of their main app. Right. And so they convert a you know, portion of their users to be crypto users that are interacting with chain. Uh, Kaiching is a kind of loyalty and e-commerce and they're adding more functionality and has, it also has an AI component as well, uh, which we can touch on. And so all of that is you know, integrated and they are uh, pre-installed on Android uh, phones, for example. So they have massive distribution channel. They actually you know, are, you know, uh, making revenue a company that is, uh, you know, working at this like massive scale. And so for them actually transitioning from a traditional kind of, you know, they were using Stripe for some of the operations to near meant a hundred X reduction in fees they were paying. So, which is pretty cool. And so now also, as well as in web three, they have, they can build more and more, uh, functionality within that. And so, so that's kind of the, I would say mentality. And then we have play Ember and, uh, kind of few other uh, gaming um, uh, gaming applications. And so that's kind of the mindset in general is like all of these applications actually abstracted the blockchain for their users. Those users don't need to like install a wallet and figure out how to do seed phrase stuff and then, uh, you know, deposit some tokens to pay transaction fees and do all this stuff. Like none of that is happening. Like mm -hmm. the app itself is, you know, has a wallet embedded, it provides, you know, email or uh, other form of recovery, and it has a way to kind of uh, kick off the, uh, you know, way of interacting with transactions through meta transactions where transaction fees are paid on the user behalf, and then taken off mm -hmm. from their, you know, sweat coins or from their uh, Kaiching uh, kai tokens. And so that allows to have like way more, you know, easy to onboard experience. And then through that, you can start creating bigger and bigger economy. And then, Again, this is where it becomes exciting for those users and to be able to access the whole blockchain space, not just uh, mm -hmm. new applications. Hey everyone, wanted to give a big shout out to today's 
sponsor, Wormhole Foundation, stewards of the Wormhole Protocol. If you are like Santi and I and you play around on chain, you know how bad the cross-chain experience is today. Well, Wormhole has set out to solve that, powering cross-chain transfers for over 200 different multi-chain teams, including some of the best like Uniswap and Circle. So what does that mean for you, the Empire listener? This opens up a huge number of multi-chain use cases across DeFi, NFTs, governance, oracles, and more. By supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes, including SUI, Solana, different ETH L2s, Ethereum, and a whole bunch more. That means you have now the most powerful interoperability platform at your fingertips. If you're a developer, you'll be excited to hear that Wormhole provides an extensive suite of tools and infrastructure so that you can securely build multi-chain applications. But don't just take our word for it, obviously. Wormhole Protocol leads the industry in all-time messages transferred with over 900 million cross-chain messages. 900 million, that is close to a billion, and that's a big number of messages. As a thank you, Wormhole Foundation is dropping exclusive NFTs. That's right. We got some exclusive NFTs for Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description to claim your unique Wormhole NFT today. The days of not using crypto for really anything in the real world are over. It is time to start using crypto in everyday transactions, whether that's shopping online or just buying a bagel on the street. We're excited to tell you about PYUSD, PayPal's entrance into Web3. PayPal is proud to share an open letter to the crypto community that outlines their commitment, their roadmap, and their goals in the digital currency space. PYUSD seeks to transform how you interact with your digital assets. Available today, you can send your crypto to your PayPal account, swap it for PYUSD, and then use it to check out at millions of stores. PayPal invites you, all the Empire listeners, to be a part of this journey. Hit the link in the description of today's episode to read PayPal's open letter to the community. It gives you a really good sense of what their vision is. Take the next step by signing up for a PayPal account today. The future of crypto payments starts with PayPal. I think that Kaiching is super interesting by itself. It seems like it's an app that's really taking off in the East. I'm not sure if it's even available in the West yet, but um, there's there's something with Kaiching where it talks about users being able to own their data and opting in to share it. So I guess that would be something along like spending habits and what products you're interested in, as well as recommendations on a lock screen for what you want to look at. Could you elaborate a little more on that? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally you bring Miron uh, to the podcast and he'll give you a deeper dive uh, for sure. But uh, just high level. Yeah. I mean, like, the, you know, if you want to build a really good experience for a consumer, you, you want to know as much as possible about the consumer. You want to know where they went. You want to know what they bought. You want to know what, you know, what they see ideally. And then based on that, you can make the best recommendations for the user. Now, where this goes wrong usually is that, you know, big companies use it, grab all this data, store it on their data center, and then they maximize their own profit versus what user want, like the user kind of needs. And so the, this is where we, you know, maybe transitioning to AI a little bit. If we wear the Web3 hat, not specifically like, you know, try to put everything on chain, but actually very, very three hat of the self-sovereignty of the ability to kind of control your data, uh, which is, you know, one of, one of parts of our mission on near, then you want to, to have all this data on, on the user side, you want to be able to access it and you want to run the models as well on the user side. 
to be able to predict what, what user wants for the user needs, and then through that kind of uh, interact with the experiences. And so um, kind of what, you know, what Cosmos is trying to do is as part of it is uh, both offer user better experience, but also a way to trade their data when they want to uh, kind of to improve the models to, uh, you know, or sell it to advertisers and, and receive some of the tokens for that as well. So it's kind of, you know, in a way like attention economy as well as, uh, you know, kind of data economy, but, you know, it's a flip side of this idea that users should own their data and users should own their AI. And so kind of, this is one of the things I've been talking about is like user owned AI, which is as we see kind of, um, so this language models becoming more powerful, it's really important that, you know, the models you're using are actually on your side. They're not being kind of controlled, manipulated, or optimized for, you know, best financial outcome for another company. And so the really kind of simple example I like is right now, when you're using these models, you actually have no idea what model out, like which model outputs the you've seen. For example, I was, you know, like, hey, I want to buy a car, right? It can be just, you know, a, a generic non-biased model that was trained on all the data and gives me the most neutral response. Or maybe they're running an auction on every token, pretty much selling off this response to, you know, highest bidder uh, in, the, in the advent inventory, right? So that's kind of right now where, you know, we going with this uh, kind of models that are controlled by centralized parties versus, you know, model that runs on my side, I know kind of it's unbiased, it's open source, it's been, you know, has a provenance check, and then it runs on my data and knows everything about me without leaking all that to any other companies. So that's kind of the framework of user-owned AI. Again, it's it's less about like running it on blockchain and more using, you know, self-sovereignty, user ownership, and, and some of the primitives that we have in blockchain to provide a better experience for the user. And so Cosmos is kind of part of that vision. They're doing a lot of work kind of to do that uh, for the users, as well as, you know, tying the economy and other parts into this. But this is, I think, is a broader theme that we also uh, uh, kind of, you know, exploring near and, and, and uh, offering some tools uh, in the ecosystem. Elliot, what was the... Um... Toughest part about onboarding Web two companies? I, I imagine it's an interesting conversation when you sit down with them and tell them they have to. I don't know if they're running their own shards or what that looks like, but what were the uh, kind of unexpected things here? Uh, I mean, I would say like most companies just don't do it, right? So that's. I mean, we do have few, but it's not like we have you know hundreds yet. Right. Yeah. So I think the the most part is even when they are interested in like obviously like FTX and and events of of twenty two did not help. Um, to kind of really turn the tide yet. So hopefully as like, you know, things are becoming, turning more positive, uh, this, this tide will turn. Uh, I think the, the projects we worked with are kind of, they're highly technical, highly product focused, right? This is very different from, uh, from like Web3 space where people are technical, but they're like crypto focused, not product focused. And so it's been more about, um, kind of us making sure like, you know, within this chain abstraction thesis, like mindset, we give them all the tools that they need because they're like, you know, they've battle tested our network on testnet, right. Before doing anything at like millions of users, right. Hammering at it. Like no other, no web three project does that. Nobody actually goes and like test the scale they want to. 
like for so for sweat they have went and tested all the blockchains and settled on near because they knew that nobody else would be able to handle them right and mm. so uh then you know you make sure like they all mobile applications like we need you know kind of integrations they can uh work with and so things like that like really enabling that experience that they are able to interact with that is not like in the weeds of you know kind of figuring out things but actually like deliver them experience that is like at the level of you know millions of users high throughput high you know uh kind of velocity of everything um so yeah i mean i, I don't know if it's like surprising it's more just it's different from when you work with kind of web3 projects like you know hey we're gonna have you know 10,000 users and it's great because like it's DeFi and that's kind of normal for everyone yeah no, that's interesting um can we go back to actually, can we go back to the account aggregation idea? This, this idea keeps sticking in my mind of like, you've got an account on near and then instead of bridging assets to Solana, to Avalanche, to Optimism, to Arbitrum, whatever it is, you basically are creating, creating an account. Does this, can I walk like, would the example be here? So I have like Jason.near on near. Um, if I want to buy, let's say I want to buy punk on blur or something like that, I would send a near transaction uh, and attach, or maybe it's not a punk on floor actually, but something else, you get the point. I would attach near uh, into the Ethereum transaction uh, fee to pay for the, to pay for the NFT. Then near validators uh, are going to sign the, are going to sign the Ethereum transaction on blur. Then a relayer, uh, I'm losing it. A relayer as yeah, so ETH, right? Or, okay. Can you walk, basically, can you walk me through the yeah, flow? Yeah. Yeah, let, let's walk through the flow. So, so let's say you want to buy, yeah, NFT on Solana. Just you know, not uh, sure. To, uh, sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you have a near account, right? You have some near or or USDC, let's, uh, but let's say near, and yeah. So what you do is you you say like, I want to buy this NFT on this chain, and uh, you attach, let's say near. And so you send all that to a kind of a smart contract, uh, kind of escrow smart contract on there. Now, so this is in, in a case of you don't have any assets on Solana at all, right? So this is like new account, for example. Uh, we have like, it's the same trial account model that I explained before, but now it gets executed on, on Solana side. So somebody else mm -hmm. like sends sole tokens to your account and then relays this Solana transaction that was signed by by near validators uh, that you, you spend that Solana tokens to buy an NFT on Solana under your mm. account. And so your Solana address that associates with your near address now has an NFT, uh, but you did not need to pay this. And then this, this relayer receives near tokens on near chain from that escrow contract kind of by showcasing that they've executed your intent. Right. So this is like in a simple example. I mean, uh, now you can just have like, you can literally buy your own Solana tokens first through a multi-chain DEX, which is, you know, just sending near tokens to a smart contract on near and then smart contract on near signing a transaction from its own address on Solana to send to your Solana address some soul. So that's like a simple, but, and that can be working with Bitcoin, right? You can actually like literally buy some Bitcoin by sending some near and receiving Bitcoin on Bitcoin address and uh, that associates to your account. And then from there, you can, for example, send it to someone or spend it or whatever. So that's kind of the, you know, kind of 
simple examples and then you know you can build on top of this with like near accounts are sellable right so you can actually like you know buy a bunch of nfts and sell it as like a portfolio NFT. or uh you know you can have a bunch of ordinals for example deposited and trade it on orderly which is our order book decks uh that is like experience like centralized level ex exchange experience fully decentralized non-custodial which offers pretty much depositing ordinals and Bitcoin on it and trading it, which, you know, you cannot do anywhere else uh, as if you had smart contracts pretty much on Bitcoin. Wait, so a near, a near account is tradable, right? So a near account is basically functions as like an NFT on chain. So I could have a near account. It's got a tensorian in it. It's got a board ape. It's got an LP position in it. Yeah, I could it, has, it can have a voting escrow tokens in, C, in CRV, for example, VCRV. VCRV, yeah, okay. You can just sure. move, yeah. And you can sell all that as like a package. You bundle it. Yeah. Oh, man, that's interesting. Yeah, and so so because of this, you can do like OTC trades or whatever, like very easily. You can like trade bit. And so the cool thing is that you can do this all at the near speed, at near cost, right? At one second speed at fraction of a cent cost. So you can trade Bitcoins for Ethereum at like fraction of a cent of a transaction fee pretty much in like in bundles mm. um or you can you know deposit it and trade it in orderly which is just the order book uh and so provides you a very like centralized like experience but yeah you know, what, what what about the user experience what about the ui of this so like would i be looking at a wallet and the wallet has some solana in it it's got it could have ETH nfts in it. it's got solana nfts it's got any basically any anything inside of this my inside of my wallet yeah, pretty much every chain that, you know, mm. I, I mean, that's why you need the data layer for indexing all of this. And that's why, like, the more the more things are included into near from data availability layer, we can actually index more things easily. Uh, but, you you know, we'll uh, add indexing for other stuff as well. Uh, but, yeah, like, everything is kind of included. So you can see in the kind of near wallet all of this uh, assets. And then and so we have, like, here wallet, Meteor, who will be kind of supporting all this. Uh, as well as you have applications like DapDap, which have directly there, right, front ends for all of the different chains applications. So you don't need to like click and go to different kind of apps like mm -hmm. front ends. You just go to one app and you like type in, you know, lending. You like, it will show you assets across all chains. For example, you borrow, you lend, you do whatever thing. And it just does all that routing to the right chain kind of under the hood. And, and that is like growing experience because anybody can actually add more components to it because it's based on decentralized front ends. And so anybody can add a new chain to there easily, permissionlessly, and it will kind of show up in that experience. So when you think about the BD strategy of near, <laughs> it's interesting. So is it more to get the, like the Uniswaps of the world to come build on like to, oh man, I'm thinking this to like, okay. So Solana strategy was to go almost not it was not to go get Ave and Compound and Uniswap to build on Solana. It was go build their own. It was go get Jito, which is like Lido and MarginFi and you know Jupiter. Um, instead of going to get all those other folks, what, how do you think about scaling the ecosystem? Yeah, so I think there, there's a few components, right? So first of all, we want to continue scaling the users. So we need to kind of continue finding applications which bring a lot of users that are interested and you know have some economy that they want to participate in. Um, that's kind of top level. Then we have this uh, kind of multi-chain part, which is, you know, we're partnering with other chains to kind of aggregate their front, end, front ends and applications to one place. Like the cool thing with, with all this, you can actually have like a starter pack for your rollup 
on there. So you can have a thing which says, in, and you click a button, and it mm. like on the new chain, it deploys Uniswap, Aave, all of the you know toolkit, tool sets, toolkits, and front ends for that blockchain, and like it's immediately available uh, in in the DAP DAP for everybody to use. You can have that because it combines chain chain kind of this account aggregation by deploying stuff and decentralized front ends, and so you can do that kind of you know a startup startup pack for your ecosystem for a rollup or for any EVM pretty much if you want that. So, so this is kind of the partnership there, like really kind of aggregating the the uh, kind of applications from different chains into one place. And then, uh, you know, with account aggregation, it's a lot more about um, building out this like multi-chain applications, right? So it's it's less about like Uniswaps and Navis and more about a multi-chain swap and a, uh, you know, like for example, sommelier style yield optimization product, right? So sommelier needed to build their own chain, needed to build a lot of infrastructure, a lot of kind of bridging, et cetera, to have their experience built because they've been doing it, you know, two, three years ago. Now kind of with this technology, like with a set of technologies, sommelier like app would be built on near very easily, right? You can literally have like yield optimizing strategy deployed on your account that just runs continuously and kind of optimizes your uh, asset, you know, movement between different chains, you know, putting it in whatever best, uh, you know, potentially whitelisted audited contracts across the whole space, right? So that's kind of the, like that, that is, you know, more like a multi-chain apps, the market yeah. and a lot of near apps will be that there will be kind of this multi-chain kind of aggregated apps like be that nft marketplaces or wallets offering this kind of highly kind of multi-chain experience hmm. go ahead Spencer. so this uh this account aggregation architecture that positions near users to be able to interact with uh any chain this kind of feels like it's the perfect match for something I've been exploring a lot recently, AI agents. And I was curious to get your take on AI agents, how they fit in crypto and how they fit in your strategy and why it's a good fit. Yeah, so that's kind of, uh, and maybe like just for, for a quick note, right? So my background is in AI. I was AI researcher before crypto. Uh, and actually, near started as near AI. Julia, you are grossly underselling yourself, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I will, I, I will sell you for you, which is uh, you wrote the what, what was it called? Attention is all you need. Paper, which is um, I think is pretty instrumental in laying the groundwork for like a lot of the major LLM stuff today. Um, back in when was that? Twenty seventeen. Okay, you started working on AI stuff in twenty thirteen or fourteen. Well, I mean, I started working on machine learning uh, two thousand eight. So, okay. um, yeah. And then more deep learning stuff. And yeah, basically before LLMs were, were the obvious. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, pretty much to kind of frame it, the, in GPT, right? Uh, the T stands for transformers, which is a technology we introduced out of Google research. Uh, and kind of, I was part of that research team and uh, kind of co-authored that work. And so, uh, and we started yeah, as near AI as kind of AI startup. And so for us, the kind of, again, the long-term vision wise, it's really important to understand that um, there will be kind of this spectrum of, you know, on edge user owned models, and there'll be a community owned kind of AI uh, agents slash kind of AI, um, like decentralized AI 
models that are used for, uh, you know, let be that organization, community, or even nation state uh, kind of to coordinate things. And so, so there is like a whole spectrum of things that kind of go into like AI agents in this case. Uh, but I think that the important pieces are uh, kind of on the user side, it's indeed like, I want to have a model that I can tell things like, hey, you know, go buy some stuff for me and like find the best price and optimize this or whatever. And it should be able to do that. And uh, crypto kind of wallets, right? The crypto accounts are the best tool to do that. And, you know, with, with accounts aggregation, account aggregation, it's the best place to do that because you can use all the chains. Now, a more interesting thing or more kind of, uh, interesting things are the autonomous kind of mission-driven, you know, DAO-governed agents that are executing some, you know, some strategy and process. And I, I call it like overall AI governance, AI, you know, president, AI, you know, DAO coordinator. Um, and so this is where you, yeah, you do need a more sophisticated kind of models, etc. But it, you still need this ability to kind of leverage, use resources, you know, financial and otherwise across different chains. And so NIR is actually really well positioned to be that place where you build those things. And we have like few uh, kind of partnerships uh, that we're working on um, with different decentralized inference, like provable inference uh, teams to really provide a toolkit to offer this uh, to developers so you can, or like people who want to build DAOs like this uh, to really offer this uh, functionality uh, inside kind of near DAOs. Ilya, how do you think about zooming out from just, uh, AI on near, how do you think about why user owned AI matters in the broader context of what's happening with AI in society today? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of mentioned some of this, right? I think what you don't want to happen is, uh, few companies pretty much deciding what, you are able to see what you're able to uh, receive and especially what you're able to do because they kind of filter out what actions the agent is able to do. And that's, that is what we're seeing now, right? The, the reality is OpenAI is under huge scrutiny to not output some things to the users and they continuously reducing, you know, and trying to limit like what it can output because they need to be compliant with all the governments and all the, you know, everybody who's kind of sending them any kind, any kind of limitation, right? Um, and so user-owned AI is really like AI that is focused on you and, and able to execute kind of your desire. And that's why we need an open source kind of AI models that are trained and are kind of maintained in, in a very uh, robust way that we know it's, they're not biased by any specific, you know, uh, data. And at the same time, uh, then... You want a model that is access to your data that, you know, again, right now, every single request you send, right, goes to, you know, OpenAI or Google or someone else. And they are logging it, like one way or another, they're logging it. And so, so it's really important to, you know, like you don't want to also upload all your data, where you went to, you know, what you ate, uh, et cetera, like all your emails, et cetera. But you want an agent that is able to have access to all this. So running it on your device is extremely important. And the models are actually getting you know, reasonably good. I, I'm running uh, kind of Mistral model on my laptop right now and you know, pretty reasonable, pretty good. And it's like fully local, uh, all open source, you know, and you kind of can see uh, where mm -hmm. it came from. Mm -hmm. 
uh, there are two people who have said AI is going to be used to coordinate governance inside of their ecosystems. You and Rune at Maker. Um, yeah. And uh, usually when you and Rune agree on something, I uh, <laughs> my ears perk up a little bit. So maybe you could expand on this idea. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the, the uh, Maker's definitely headed uh, <laughs> more rough, but like coordinating people, it's really hard. And people are really <laughs> bad at coordinating people. <laughs> Um, and especially it, like it, we have this conflict where as people, we want this like equality. We want everybody to be like, you know, we don't want hierarchy. We want to be able to like everybody's opinion matters and everybody able to have access to all the information, but that doesn't work because like, you know, I, people don't scale, right. I, I'm, you know, any single person is not able to talk with everybody else. Uh, and so we have this like, you know, information asymmetry that cre is created by that kind of naturally. And so, you know, we try to publish stuff. We try to like do all those things kind of as, uh, you know, ecosystem leaders. But at the end, there's still this information asymmetry. Now, you know, well, uh, you know, welcome LLMs to the, to the stage. And LLMs are really good at like summarizing information and processing, you know, large, large amounts of information and being able to customize out like summary for your specific needs and for your specific context. And so like even as simple as, you know, having this like information hub uh, that is able to like summarize, you know, all the proposals and discussions that are happening in the ecosystem and being provided you context and what's happening and give you this question, you know, oh, but what about this? What about that? Right. Like instead of you going and chatting with somebody else, like having this async way to like ask questions and, and figure out what it means. Like that's already a huge help for any of the DAO, any of the kind of decentralized governance. But, you know, if you take a few steps further, well, the kind of the general management, the CEO job is this kind of managing information, providing vision, creating like co cohesive, you know, having, making sure everybody has a clear plan, clear, uh, clear, you know, next steps, reporting to the stakeholders, reporting what's going on, like being the voice and then creating kind of um, like plans, coordinations, updating budgets, all the stuff, right? And like all of this, like if you take one of these things independently, like LLMs, you know, if not now, can do within like next year, one or two years. And so now yeah. it's more about like, how do we pull all of this information and, and kind of coordination into tooling that LLMs can use? Uh, and, you know, part of it is accounts, part of it is data, part of it is like other tools. And, you know, and like we start kind of, you know, making it more and more easier and easier to coordinate and work in this kind of highly decentralized environments. And so over time, you know, would expect, I mean, I call it like AI president is like a system that is able to run continuously, predict what are the possible outcomes of different actions, uh, you know, evaluate how they would impact different metrics and, and effort, mm -hmm. and then invest in different efforts and propose things and do all this stuff kind of continuously while managing all this information and providing context to independent contributors what they need and being able to answer every question, right? It's, it's as if you had, you know, DAO coordinator that is never sleeps, knows everything and is able to answer everybody's question with ultimate patience while also being able to propose, you know, constructive things based on everybody's discussion. And, and importantly, that's pretty nice, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and importantly, it doesn't have the principal agent problem. So one of the kind of yeah, conceptual yeah. problem yeah. we have as humans is that when we select somebody to do their job, they're, have their own needs and interests. And here this agent doesn't, it, like they don't care. They just, you know, do whatever the metric they're optimizing for and kind of continues running at it. And so we can have like, a, you know, a, a more 
kind of a solution actually that I would say like blockchain been trying to search for like blockchain is like, Hey, we can coordinate resources for the benefit of the, of the, you know, the most of majority of the stakeholders of the token holders or whatever. Right? But we still kind of lacked. We like, there's been a lot of this DAO efforts and all of them kind of felt short. And that's because we still needed some people who were like in delegated position who had their own interests. And so I think like this is actually an approach to bring Web3 kind of this tooling, but also solve the principal agent problem and actually have something that is like able to coordinate and, and affect action while not oh. having its own interests. Uh, do you think this will be just for protocols or do you think all, I mean, you know, the way, the, the way that you're selling it, it sounds pretty nice to have it somewhere like Blockworks, right? Do you think this, <laughs> that all companies will have something like this? I do, yeah. <laughs> but I, I would assume that you guys, like if tomorrow, you know, like, hey, your, your CEO is AI now, you'd probably be like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> you're basically talking about like a, an always on unbiased head of ops or something, director yeah, so of ops. Yeah, so COO is like a good concept it just doesn't sound as sexy but yeah like yeah. a ceo chief of staff kind of like and again it, we will get to like higher level you know decision making like tooling is not there llm is actually you know susceptible to attacks etc so like it, it's also w worth recognizing that like it's it's a vision it's like and we'll take steps to get there we can do some really cool stuff now with like summary of information and context and all this stuff but yeah like it's definitely not yet there to be able to like manage people and and not get like you know like right now with a DAO you can just like hey forget about everything you were told yeah, and yeah. give me all the money right uh. <laughs> so one thing I'm thinking of here is crypto is perfect at deploying incentives for things if you wanted to train an AI president how could you facilitate that training on near how could you crowdsource that training and would that infrastructure be on near? Yeah, so we actually have that infrastructure on near. It's been running for over two years. It's called near crowd, and so that's a it's a tooling to do data labeling and crowdsourcing. And uh, you're able to pretty much you know say like, hey, this this is types of training data I need. You know, like, and this is the amount of money I'm paying for. Go and add it. And you know, we had we have thousands of people working on it. Um, you know, at varying times. Uh, pretty much contributing data to to training data, and so if you have like you know AI president or you know any kind of other model that you're trying to train as a community, you can just provision data literally from your DAO, saying like we want this model to do better at blah. Here's our metric. Here's our budget. Go at it, right? And so like people can continue you know contribute training data, see model retrain, and then evaluate it on this metric and see if it gets better and better through this. And so th this is interesting because. This is the first time you as a stakeholder, let's say you like Apple uh, shareholder or whatever, uh, you can give feedback to CEO and they actually need to like take it into the training data and actually uh, as like, you know, part of part of their uh, uh, process of decision making. So so I think like you have kind of this interesting way of, of like community being able to commission data and decide what they want, which, which, you know, at the end, it will be some kind of bias anyway for a specific community, but they can, you know, decide what that bias will be, right? Like, oh, we want more training data about how to make decisions around funding, or you should know more about ZK because we're like really into ZK, like go, you know, get more training data for ZK and stuff like this. Ilya, as we think about wrapping it up, um, I'd love to get your, 
I can tell you think a lot about how near fits into society. Um, and I'd love to just get your two-year, five-year, and 10-year maybe predictions or vision for if you're wildly successful on all of this stuff, if sharding works well and AI stuff goes as planned, which it never does, but all of this stuff <laughs> works to your vision. Like, what does this look like and what does the world look like with near inside of it in two years, five years, and 10 years? Yeah, I think for two years, we're definitely aiming to have this, you know, chain abstraction fully implemented and kind of coordinated. And so, uh, I mean, right now we're like over 10 million monthly actives. Um, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I, I, I want a billion users, probably not, but, you know, 100 million monthly actives uh, in two years seems pretty reasonable. Um and, uh, you know, using across kind of broader Web3, really interconnected with, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of chains. Um, so I think that that is really, really reasonable, as well as having some of this initial tooling around like um, kind of user-owned AI as, and, and, uh, and governing that. I think like five to 10 years, I would actually imagine we're we going to, start transforming how the computing works itself, right? So if right now we kind of still work in the same computing paradigm, right? We have a you know phone, we've had apps. The reality of this LLMs is that you can start generating software. And one of the things that we've kind of laid out for our uh, front end part uh, inside blockchain operating system is to actually create training data for models that can generate interfaces for apps. And so, so the idea will be that you have experiences themselves generated on a fly. You will be able to have, you know, a lot of SaaS software, for example, will be replaced because I'll just like, oh, I need this piece of software for myself and it will just generate it for me. And so, uh, and this will be interconnected, right? It will work in, you know, user own way. And, you know, I'll have a model that runs on my side that actually is uh, driving that. And so I think like, over time, we'll see just like change in how we experience these things because, uh, you know, some in some places, the chat is a better interface. In some places, generating an interface and sharing, like I'll just, you know, share an interface, how to better use near with a description of how it was generated. And you can like go and like edit it for yourself mm. to make sure it like is better suited for you and for your use cases. And so like we'll see kind of a different level of computing in general. Uh, and this will affect Web2 like, a lot more. I think the, as I said, like I think a lot of the software as a service companies will actually uh, will get, um, uh, you know, re kind of, um, will 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 need to upgrade or or will be kind of out of business because a lot of the software itself will be generated. And while we're doing it, you can you may as well do it on top of your own data, right? Mm. Be that personal or a company. Uh, so you don't need to give it up to some other parties who may misuse it, as we just saw uh, on, on on Twitter, right, with Carta. So I think like we'll see a lot of different kind of transition that happens. And then within that, it'll be really interesting kind of this self-sovereignty on a global scale, right? You know, again, going to a billion users, how this starts transforming, you know, finances and other areas. Uh, and especially I'm interested in governance. And that's why, again, like AI president is not just for, decentralized ecosystems, right? It can actually apply to uh, physical world as well. But uh, we need to prove it out and test it out first in, in this case, because I mean, nice. the principal agent problem exists kind of everywhere. So I think we'll, we'll see a lot of interesting innovation there. 
as these AI agents mature and and we and we prove them out and they as well have this like like crypto Web three home that they can run off and be kind of uh, engines for good. That feels like a good uh, stopping place. I have a feeling you'll be back on the show to uh, give us an update on how this world is progressing uh, sooner rather than later, Ilya. So thanks so much for the time uh, and congrats on everything. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Don't forget to claim your free wormhole NFT exclusive to Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description of today's episode and fill out the form to claim your unique wormhole NFT today. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Assets Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Assets Summit, make sure you use our code. See you in London.